Welcome to Herb W. Morgan's Slaying Bulls and Bears, a podcast about economics, markets, investing, politics, and profit. Every Monday, in less than 20 minutes, Wall Street portfolio manager Herb W. Morgan distills the complex and complicated into the simple and sensical. Here's Herb now. Good morning, everyone. Monday, May 9th, 2022, the 77th anniversary of uh, victory in Europe, VE Day, the uh, mark the ending of the European World War II component. Also, happy birthday to dad, his 77th birthday today out in uh, North Carolina. Let's get right into it. I'm Herb Morgan, Senior Managing Director. Chief Investment Officer here at Efficient Market Advisors. This is my weekly economic and market commentary beginning uh, today. Don't forget, you can follow me intra-week on LinkedIn and or Twitter. You can get this either as a subscription with the slides. If you're looking at the slides, you're on that list. Or just tell your smart device to play Slaying Bulls and Bears with Herb Morgan. Our objective here is to make the complex and complicated very simple and sensical. Everything you're about to see and or hear is designed for use with either a financial advisor or an individual investor. There's no advice, no recommendations for the purchase or sale of any securities. Everything is for informational purposes only. Its accuracy, adequacy, and completeness cannot be guaranteed. Uh, All read last week. S&P 500, though, finished the week almost even, very, very, very close. The big declines were in developed international and emerging markets last week. A lot of that is on strength of the U.S. dollar. In times of uncertainty, capital flows to the safest currency in the world and the safest fixed income investments in the world. It's U.S. Treasuries. Not going towards the long end of the curve, though. You can see the long end of the Treasury curve that the 20-plus Treasury index was down more than 5% on the week, brings its year-to-date decline to more than 23%. This is, I think, what's causing investors, I know what's causing investors because I talked to you all, a little bit of angst. Normally, when the stock market sells off, the bond side of the portfolio goes up. But because this is a very unusual time of Fed tightening, raising interest rates, naturally, Uh, and inflation, interest rates going up. So you have a rare combination of both stocks and bonds going down. We'll talk a little bit about how we are positioned within our fixed income portfolio or bond portfolio component today. Alternative indices doing what they're supposed to do, not much of a return, but relative to stocks and bonds having a great year, we have about a 6% allocation Uh, to uh, a merger arbitrage uh, ETF in our portfolios. Here's a graph of last week's S&P 500 price action. You can see we really didn't have much of a move. You know, I mentioned down 0.18% on the week, but here's the orange line where we started the week. We had the Fed announcement that they were going to raise interest rates 50 basis points. It was exactly as expected. But post-announcement in the press conference, in the Q&A, a CNBC reporter asked the Fed Chair Jerome Powell, are you talking about a 75 basis point hike? And his response was essentially, no, we haven't been talking about a 75 basis point hike. We feel pretty comfortable doing what we're doing. And that the market for a very brief period, just about an hour, hour and a half, 
had a huge surge up about a thousand points. It was silly to suddenly value the entire Dow Jones Industrial Average, 1,100 points or 1,000 points higher, based on the comment that we hadn't discussed 75 basis points. He didn't say it was off the table. He didn't nothing. It just happened. So markets are that way. This shows you that even though we have the largest and deepest and best, most efficient markets in the world, they're not as deep and efficient all the time as we think. And so a little comment here or there, a straight comment here or there can, can get the levered players who are moving money around very quickly to change the market prices and values of, of the holdings of us long-term holders, us investors. And it's important that we don't get too excited about that. And then of course, the next day, as we thought, it all ran back away there. And by the end of the week, the S&P 500 was essentially back where it started. The longer term your time horizon, the less these day-to-day -day movements matter to you. Let's get into the economic data from last week. S&P Global, which used to be called Marquette, they purchased that business, put out their U.S. manufacturing PMI last week, and it rose from a very high 58.8 to 59.2, a little bit below expectations. In manufacturing, that's the highest reading since September of last year. But wait, I thought manufacturing was slowing down. I've been saying all along that it will slow down. Ultimately, higher interest rates do have an impact. Ultimately, the Fed not buying $100 billion a month in mortgage-backed and treasury securities will have an impact. But there's a lag to that policy response. This is the highest reading, as I mentioned, since September of last year. Stocks of purchases measure. This is basically a sign that says we are replenishing the inventories, which means we have some easing. It's not completely fixed, but we have some easing of the supply chain issue. That reading is the highest it's ever been since the series began, meaning they made progress. That lack of inventory is a lot of the problem with inflation, right? Driving up prices. If we have some relief on that problem, we should ultimately have some relief on prices. We also got new export orders, the highest reading in a year. ISM, a competitive reading on manufacturing, did not increase. It actually declined, went to 55.4, and disappointed was below expectations. But anything above 50's expansion, 55 is a pretty high number relative to history. It's a good number. So we're not totally disappointed, but the two manufacturing readings did somewhat conflict. Let's check the services side. Remember services is about 85% of the US economy, fell to 55.6, but beat estimates and expanded again. 55 is a very high, a strong number. That's S&P Global. ISM, big number as well. It was down, but 57.1. This is an economy that's humming along. New orders fell from 60 to 54, still a good reading. Business activity in the aggregate rose. In employment, however, this was the one negative component, 49.5, just below that line of contraction. Construction spending for the month of, of March rose a tenth of a percent. That was nice to see. Year-over-year -year numbers solid as well. Factory orders in the U.S. rose 2.2%, double the increase that was expected. That's a pretty big reading for factory orders. You have to go back to the, the initial reopening from being closed during COVID to get a reading that high in a series that normally is volatile. Look, down, 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 all those down months. 
We haven't had down months since we reopened. This tells me something about the underlying strength of the economy. Remember, we got that recession back here in 20 because we cut off supply, not because of a lack of aggregate demand. It was not a naturally occurring recession from a bubble bursting or a cyclical type recession. It was an immediate recession caused by the restriction of supply due to the COVID-related shutdown lockdowns. Total vehicle sales came out. This is Ward's total vehicle sales for the month of April. They rose to a rate of 14.3 million, still far below where we need to be. This still relates to the uh, supply chain issues, computer chip shortages, et cetera. As you can see, it's getting better, but it's still well below where we need to be. That's helping automobile manufacturer margins. That's keeping used car prices elevated. That's contributing significantly to inflation. But as I said earlier, we're starting to see signs uh, that the worst is behind us. Not resolved, but the worst is behind us. Another sign of the unbelievable strength in the aggregate demand of the U.S. economy is this. This is the trade deficit for the month of March. It's never been this big. $110 billion dollars. Well, that's a mixed message, right? So the good part, the good news is the demand. We can afford to buy these goods and services. There's the demand for goods because the consumer is so strong, because employment is so high, incomes are so strong, et cetera. Imports rose 10% to $351 billion. Exports grew 5.6% to $242 billion. But demand is so strong, and supply is so limited, we're driving prices higher. Remember, export, a trade deficit is a subtraction from GDP. I mentioned that to you when we had this quote unquote disappointing Q1 GDP figure, because one of the big reasons, in addition to a reduction in government spending, which is a good thing, was that net exports surge, and that subtracted 3.2% from GDP on an annualized basis in the first quarter, uh, obviously, March was the last month of the first quarter. There was a significant, of course, petroleum component to this due to just rising prices. And we've seen since then a little bit of relief in those prices. Job openings continue to rise. Hardly something that happens in a demand-based recession. This is a, still a supply issue. Job openings rose from 11.3 to 11.5 million in the U.S., and unemployment, that's the number of people unemployed, 5.9 million. Quite a big gap there, putting upward pressure on wages, therefore reducing labor productivity substantially. Initial claims from unemployment came in at 200,000 last week. Continuing claims uh, came in at 1.38, 1.4 million. We also got the two big jobs reports last week for the month of April. We got first the ADP report. They say that private payrolls grew to only 247,000, well below the estimate. That was on top of a massive gain in the month of March. Small firms gained, big firms gained, service manufacturing all picked up. But again, below that estimate, that's the ADP report. The Bureau of Labor Statistics report told a different story, it said we grew at 428,000, well above the estimate. That's exactly the number we grew at in the month of March, and the unemployment rate was unch, unchanged, 3.6%.
As I mentioned, uh, because of that gap between job openings and unemployment, unit labor costs rising, that's the same as productivity declining. Labor costs, year-over-year -year labor costs 7%, highest reading since 1982. Another peak inflation year, by the way, 1982. And again, I, I, I am now thinking more and more convinced that we likely have the peak in year-over-year -year inflation rates sometime in March or uh, April. There's another statistics from the job report, average hourly earnings 5.5% up from a year ago. One of the biggest surprises to folks this year is how quickly and aggressively the bond market has sold off. It's the reason we at EMA have been, been for some time underweight fixed income because we believe fixed income should be more of a ballast in a portfolio and within fixed income, shorter duration, shorter maturity. Why? As interest rates go up, a 20-year or 25 or 30-year bond will go down much more than a bond that's getting ready to mature tomorrow or in a year or in five years. The longer the maturity, the higher the percentage movement as a reaction to movements in interest rates. The aggregate bond index, as you can see here, these are yearly numbers. This goes back all the way to 1976. We have not had a down year. In fact, traditionally, the down years are very small but we were coming off zero interest rates. We had a huge spike in inflation. And if you go back to why all this happened, you have to point to our COVID policy. Now, I'm not a doctor. I'm not commenting on the medical benefits. I'm only commenting here on the economic cost. And the policy was really misguided from an economic standpoint. Think about what we did. We had a very strong economy, no lack of aggregate demand, no lack of jobs, Humming along, we they say, well, we have to stop COVID, so everybody has to stay home. We're going to shut down concerts and sporting events and beaches and coffee shops and restaurants and schools and everything. We're going to shut it all down. And that's going to represent an economic hardship to people. So to make it up to them, we're going to give them money. And we're going to make it up to the businesses, and we're going to give them money. So we're going to shut down supply while we stimulate demand. It literally is the perfect recipe for excessive inflation. Create more demand and restrict supply. And that's what we did. So that, that money, that liquidity, found its way into stock and bond markets. We used that opportunity at EMA to reduce our fixed income exposure, to go below our benchmark, to shorten our duration, to go below the benchmark duration. On the equity side, we de-risked a couple of times moving into this. And we've been carrying a little cash now for, quite frankly, getting close to a year. And so we're starting to see some opportunities and things are starting to look attractive. Even bonds are starting to look attractive. We haven't had a sell-off like this. A more than 10% decline on a year-to-date. We're, we're, it's only May. And we've had more than 10% decline in an index that has very, traditionally, very low volatility. So it's interesting to see. We are starting to see some possible opportunity in bonds. Here's a couple of ETFs that we like to follow that track certain bond indices. And I apologize, this is a little dark, but let's go through this. So the TLT, this orange line, you can see how it's much more elastic. It moves much more aggressively and it's moved the most, started from the highest here when it peaked in November to down all the way here. So we just did a one year chart, right? And this is a percentage of a hundred. So how much is it down? S, J, and K is short, S stands for short-term high yield, one of the best performers. It's only down about 
4% in a year. Whereas TLT, which is a 20 year treasury, certainly higher credit quality, you can see down about 17% in the course of the year. The longer the maturity, the more the downside. So we have been positioned more in the short and slowly sort of adding to that duration or maturity risk here. Recently, we moved out of a floating rate position, which has been essentially flat, into more of an intermediate term treasury position by the things that have sold off. We think that this sell-off in fixed income is probably close. Could we get to three and a half on the 10-year this year? Probably. Uh, but we've already had the move, right? It's from one and a half to the 310, 315, uh, excuse me, that we're at um, today. And what about the stock market sell-off? It's been pretty sharp, pretty aggressive. I mean, last week we talked about essentially being flat, but this graph is the VIX, the VIX index or the CBOE volatility index. Oftentimes, traders, people in my industry, this goes back to, you can see here, 2017. So it's about a five-year graph. These little spikes when you have spooks in the market up to, say, let's call it the 35 level, really peaking at around 40. There's been one there, there's one there, so on and so forth. Unless you have a major catastrophic event, you really rarely get above this level. Back in 2008, we got into the 80s with the global financial crisis, far more serious than what we're experiencing today. And we got above 80 with the COVID crisis, also far more serious than what we're experiencing today. So here we have the VIX today around 34, 35. Could this be uh, a short-term bottom in, in equity prices? Doesn't mean they're gonna turn around and go significantly higher. They could even grind lower. They could stop going lower and that VIX could calm down, but uh, probably getting it, it, more likely than not sort of in that area here, we're close to that short-term bottom in equity prices. Um, just a thought, just an opinion. Uh, this week, plenty of economic data, but uh, nothing compared to last week's Fed meeting. That was the big, big dog of news items. Wholesale inventory, small business optimum, optimism. Okay, there is a big one this week. I stand correct. I corrected myself here. The CPI, the month over month number, you can see 1.2. We're looking now at a 0.2, and it's going to be the year over year number starting to fall on Wednesday, May 11th. That's the big thing. Jobs claims, PPI also, same thing on Thursday, Friday, import and export prices. So if these numbers, CPI and PPI, come a little better than expected, uh, that could signal, yep, we did hit that bottom and the markets could possibly stabilize or even rally up uh, from there. Don't forget to subscribe on the podcast. Give me a thumbs up and a like on iTunes. I appreciate it. Talk to you again next week. Thank you for listening to Slaying Bulls and Bears. If you'd like to download the slides for this week's podcast, go to www.efficient-portfolios.com and join our mailing list. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel, rate us online, and share with a friend if you found this helpful. See you next week.